Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic for the purposes of this particular podcast. And just this one. You may call me Rockmeister McCoom. Uh, that's my nickname. If you must use it, you can. But you don't have to. You can also call me Whitney. Most, or, most people take advantage of this or, rare yeah. opportunity, and we or, thank you for it. Or, hey, you jerk. That works, too. Also works good. Mm. And uh, here's how this podcast works. You send us emails. Our email address <laughs> is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And if we get an email... We might read it on the show and answer your questions, respond to your criticisms, give you recommendations for things, tell you weird stuff about ourselves, whatever you want to know, really. We're, mm. we're pretty open books. Uh, we also have a P.O. box for those who are interested in that, people who like to send old-fashioned letters, like you're in a Jane Austen novel. Whitney, what is... You know how Jane Austen was always writing to P.O. boxes? Like, <laughs> Whitney, what is your P.O. box? Right to Jane Austen, uh, Critically Climb Network. Uh, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. That is our P.O. box. We've been getting junk mail in our P.O. box. I've noticed! It happens. Yay! Uh, and, our, uh, our P.O. box is going to have its own Discover card. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to have uh, 200 free AOL hours pretty soon uh evidently the previous owner of our uh p.o box mm. like is still getting mail there and yeah. i have no way of contacting this person no. so i just have to throw away their mail yeah uh, it's nothing personal it's just junk mail, it's, junk mail. Like, it's, just, it's, yeah. it's like it's like to this person or current resident right. like, even it's the person just... who sends the mail doesn't give a shit uh, yeah but they're on like some kind of weird mailing list for like super right-wing uh magazines Ew. and stuff Ew. about about like here's a magazine about how how Great Donald Trump is you yeah. woke culture and everyone should have a gun. It's like really, really oh, hard hardline awesome. stuff. That's, I only check our employee PO box like once or twice a week, so uh, I don't think I think I've missed all that stuff. Oh well, be, be grateful. Yeah, that gets <laughs> ripped up and thrown in the mail, but uh, but we're getting a lot of that stuff. All right, well let's uh, let's not and say we did. <laughs> uh, before we get going, uh, this is a very special episode of We've Got Mail. This is our one hundredth episode of this show. It is. Yeah, that, we've been doing this 100 episodes Isn't now. that kooky? And, it's uh, really great. We should celebrate by answering some emails. <laughs> yeah, we don't do anything special for our special episodes. I know some people do like wild and crazy things mm. and bring on all kinds of special guests. Um, we record at midnight, and that's just rude to ask anyone to even join in. <laughs> so we're not going to do anything special. What's special is you. You send mm. us your emails, and we want to give you all the time in the world. So we're just going to jump right in. Uh, we're doing business as usual, but we just do want to say before we get going thank you to everybody uh who has been writing us this whole time whether you've written in once or multiple times uh we're just incredibly grateful to you thank you for wanting to chime in thank you for making your voice heard um this is a really really fun show and it we, we wouldn't exist without you so thank you from the bottom of our hearts let's dive in Okay, uh, here is a letter from Eric. Hi, Eric. Uh, it's addressed to uh, Dear B&W Root Beer Float. Isn't okay. that cute? B&W, that's... B- oh, I just yeah. got that. Okay. 
Uh, we, it's uh, late. My, <laughs> my wife's first name is Angie. My first uh-huh. name is Whitney. And we did consider at our wedding handing out NW merchandise. I remember like, you talking beer. about that. That would have been cute. Uh, too precious for us. We, yeah. we, didn't, we, want, we didn't want to go quite that have I think you could have had cans of A&W available at the tables. That wouldn't uh, have been too bad. It, that it, wouldn't have been too bad. I suppose not. We gave away books and records instead. That's what we were into. That was, but, a, good, uh, that was a really good wedding, by the way. That's the, <laughs> maybe the best wedding I've ever been to. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the letter says, this is in response to the letter you recently received asking for some good examples, <laughs> stumbling out of the gate, some good examples of Filipino cinema. Yeah. So um, in the previous episode, I think it was just the previous episode, someone asked for examples of Filipino cinema that really represented the, the culture well. And this is something that, you know, it's not my culture. It's not mm-hmm. Whitney's culture. So we send out the call. Uh, to anyone who knew more about it than we did. So thank so you for writing in. An this answer. Um, I have a recommendation. It's a recommendation I'm sure you'll both be getting from a lot of other listeners. Uh, it's not a movie, but there is an anime hmm. based on Filipino mythology called Trese on Netflix. T-R-E-S-E on Netflix. The show is based on a Filipino comic book of the same name. It's about a young girl named Alexandra Trese who works with the police department to solve supernatural crimes in Manila and the surrounding Hmm. area. Some of the creatures featured in the series include a white lady ghost, a Nuno spirit that lives under a manhole cover, a Duende tree spirit, a pair of Japanese twins who are part wind god, a Santelmo, and an Aswang street gang that is so large they refer to themselves as a nation. I am not Filipino. But I was stationed in the Philippines back in 1991 when I was in the Navy, and I love the country and the people as well as their traditional mythology. Good luck to the person who wrote you that letter. I'm looking forward to the other responses to this question. Signed, Eric. Well, great. That's a great yeah. start. Thank mm-hmm. you so much uh, for, your, for your help, for your insight. Um, I'm unfamiliar with that show, but uh, that sounds cool. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's relatively easy to access, which is also great. So, bonus. Yeah, if it's on Netflix, in the United States anyway. Um yeah. I don't know. I know streaming services are really dodgy around the world. Yeah, you never know uh, what's on what service in what yeah, country. But uh, but sometimes it's just, you know, you want to see uh, a particular film from a particular country. And unless it had an official release in America, mm. sometimes it's a little hard to get over here. Yeah, and that can yeah, be yeah. really annoying. So, you know, not that it's not worth the effort, but you know, bonus that it's available. Yeah, a lot of stream. It's it's been a lot better, especially if you're willing to go through like virtual cinemas of certain uh, yeah. uh, theater chains. Uh, Lemley's Monica has a really good virtual cinema yeah. uh, Grasshopper films and, and Icarus films are uh, really sort of carrying the torch in, in international distribution here in the United States uh, they're gathered under the Ovid umbrella so Ooh. yeah go, go check out Ovid they have a lot of good uh, Filipino cinema as well awesome okay well let's move on thank you for writing okay. in yeah. here's a letter from OK OK Sign, signed off by OK Dear Bibbs and insert funny name for Whitney here you, <laughs> I don't need it. You, you can just call me Whitney that's no, fine that's um, not fun <laughs> I, I think so <laughs> <laughs> My name is Whitney. You think I wasn't mocked relentlessly as a child? Aww. This isn't mocking. This is I a went playful to, like, judging. I went to like a, a, like a, a ritzy private elementary school as uh, well. Did so, they have ritzy private school like like insults? Well, no, but they had like ritzy <coughs> private <coughs> school <coughs> kids with weird ritzy school private school kid names. Oh. Like, so like, my, what, my name was Whitney. My sister's name is Heidi, uh, which were like a little off the beaten path. But there was, <laughs> uh, we had a, a brother and sister pair. Their names were uh, Choya and Soharo after okay. the cacti. Um, All right, that's cool. Yeah, uh, Those there was, cool names. Uh, two sisters named Jamila and Jopanki. Uh, that was cool. pretty good. Um, Whitney these was are, hardly unusual with yeah, you know, are, going to kids cool with uh, you know, school with kids with names like that. Yeah. Anyway, 
you don't have to give me a funny name is my point. Right. Um, anyway, uh, OK says, I've been listening to your podcast for over a year or so now. I find you both very insightful and smart, as well as giving an important perspectives and ideas on how to expand film viewing habits for someone like me, who's always way into way too into those Marvel films. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thanks. I sense yeah. a butt coming. Yeah, no, for example, <laughs> even though I love Akira Kurosawa, I probably would have missed Dersu Uzawa if it wasn't for you two mentioning mm-hmm. it in one of your shows. I think it was both on the Iron List and on Episode Zero. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up loving that movie, too, so thanks for recommending it. Yay. Uh, now, a few weeks, months, what is time, ago in your letters, <laughs> uh, a listener was asking recommendations for movies that feature disabled actors or characters without mm. the story being about their disability. Yes. Um, that was a bit ago, but yeah, that was great. Now, the film I'm about to recommend is sadly very much about the character's disability, but I think it deserves some attention. The film is from my home country of Finland, oh. uh, and it was released uh, here just this year. The name of the film is The Blind Man Who Did Not Want to See Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> It's That's a great title. Film, yeah. That's a great title. Uh, I mean, who doesn't love a good 10-word title? The movie is about a man who's blind and uh, and uses a wheelchair due to MS disease, played by the actor Petri... Oh, gosh. Finnish names. Uh, Poikolainen, who himself has that same disability. In the movie, he wants to travel to another town to meet his girlfriend, who he's never met before, having only talked with her on the phone. But to get there, he has to rely on the kindness of strangers for his uh, for his assistance. And his, oh, excuse me, because his assistant is too busy that day. Uh, the name of the film that comes from the fact that the character used to be a big film fan but never saw Titanic because of stupid film bro reasons. Uh, <laughs> for me, the film paints a really good layered picture of its main character and shows him as a full person while also demonstrating the trouble he faces in ignorance and the ignorance of the people around him. The film is filmed in a really powerful way where the camera stays almost always near the main character, keeping things around him unfocused. Only when he touches something, it might become visible to viewers, getting the viewers closest to the experience of the character as it can, while still being an interesting visual experience. Uh, I don't know if the film has a U.S. release date yet. Uh, I haven't heard of this. No, this I haven't. Fa- yeah, it sounds pretty good. Um, uh, but I hope you and other listeners keep The Blind Man Who Did Not Want to See Titanic in mind if it cops, uh, pops up over there someday. For me, it was a really powerful experience and would love to hear whether or not people enjoy it if they end up seeing it, especially from disabled listeners. You probably have, uh, for uh, as another able-bodied man, I don't have that perspective. Though I did read an article uh, where this film was shown to a few people uh, who did have MS, and they all liked it. The article was in Finnish, so I assume there's no point in sharing it here. Well, appreciate knowing about it regardless. And yeah, that's... that's mm. um, is there more to the letter? Yeah, a little bit more. Okay, I'll um, let you finish. This letter is already running longer than I thought it would. They always do. It's fine. We read them. No one cares. Um, I seem to have trouble writing in more uh, shorter manner. I hope my English was understandable and not so full of typos that it would make your eyes bleed. Uh, anyway, thank you for your incredible work on your podcast and keeping me entertained during a full year of anxiety. Wow. I really love just putting your podcast on while relaxing and playing some mindless video games to keep my hands busy. Also, good luck to Bibs on the Schmodown matches for the rest of the year, and I'm hoping to see Whitney play again in the future with love and respect. Okay. Uh, okay, thank you so much. A um, couple of things there. Uh, firstly, yeah, going to Schmodown Spectacular, uh, last match of the season. Team's title match uh, up against King Arthur. So fingers crossed. Hope to see everyone there. Uh, he came back just to challenge you. Just to challenge me. It was. Uh, it was. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I could take him. Um, <laughs> he's, you should, he's, oh, his his name is King Arthur. You should well, learn the, that the team is called King Arthur. You, you should learn that little uh, clapping hand movement From? that the young Merlin did in the kid who would be king. He had this like <laughs> like very the signature gesture when he wanted I to. Will, to I uh, will. I will look that up. To cast a spell. You should look that up. That's and, fine. And I will imitate that gesture. No one will get it, but it'll be funny. If anyone does, they'll appreciate it. I'll, I will look into that. Thank you so much. I really wasn't even thinking of that. Um, but what was I going to say? Oh, I had a thing I was going to say. 
I had a thing, and you totally derailed me. About uh, uh, was something else the, that they the, said. The, the finished film. Uh, about the finished film sounds interesting, and thank um, you for the recommendation. But there was something they said after that, and now it's gone. It's gone forever. <laughs> something about thank you for listening, but that was nice, but that mm-hmm. wasn't it. No, it's dead now. You ruined it. <laughs> you well, he monster. Said he, he said he he was uh, listening. He was playing video games, listening yeah. to our podcast. No, it wasn't. Yeah, that was when that's good, nice. And good luck on the schmodown. Yeah, that wasn't. There was there was something yeah. else gone now yeah and I'll, I'll i'll compete on the schmodown again someday if they ever want me back mm. I'm, they have my number they do they, <laughs> most, they most certainly do mm. um but yeah no it's uh it's gone it would have been really fun to talk about okay well let's move on ah! uh, it'll, it'll come back as we move forward and i if, hope so and if, and if it doesn't we'll move on to other things uh, okay. here's a letter from the windy hello the windy we've heard from the windy before hello uh hello sound effects man and reading the letters man <laughs> <laughs> That's do, all I do. I just have the sound effect. Do a horse and carriage on cobblestones. Uh, no, <laughs> it's complicated. Uh, I just listened to your late, uh, last letters episode, and one listener wrote in uh, who described becoming anxious when they think about all the movie classics they might never catch up on. Mm. Uh, I definitely can relate. I got into movies only a couple of years ago, and will probably never catch up. Maybe if they stop making new movies, but even <laughs> then, probably not. Uh, so, so my approach. And I recommend this to everybody. Hmm. Is basically what Bibbs said. Uh, I am in a great situation to watch so many amazing movies for the first time. If I want to experience to be su- uh, to be surprised by a Hitchcock film or swept up in a Kurosawa epic, I don't know. I don't have to look very far. There's a huge pool of more than a century of cinema that I can dive into and find something that I don't know. Uh, so I don't think about FOMO. I see it as, as an opportunity. Signed, The Windy. Yeah, I think mm. it's a great way to look at it, too. I think mm. um, I appreciate the eagerness that we all have to mm. want to know as much as we can and have as many of the experiences as we possibly can and uh, get really conversant in every single part of film. And I get it. I've gone through that too. And it's really, really great. But um, there's, there's so much, there's, there's so, so much there's, I haven't so seen. Much, yeah. I've, I've been doing this professionally, like being a film critic professionally for 10 years. I have been a full time film fan for 30 years mm. plus. Um, there's still stuff I haven't seen. Well, and even even not keeping, running out. even keeping up with the good things every year is difficult. Yeah. Uh, we see like three to five new films every week, give or uh, take. T- yeah, give or take. Sometimes and, more. Uh, yeah, but sometimes we get up and you know we can get up into the tens. And I just made a list of all of the uh, great films I heard uh, like positive things about from mm. critics I admire, uh, things that I knew I wanted to see mm. but didn't get a chance from this to year. from just from this year and it's all, it's all already 50 films. Oh, I've got even more and, than that. And, mine. and like all of the big awards contenders are still coming forth cuz we're in uh, late they November now. The and, whole yeah, year. it's re- super back ended this year. Yeah. I mean it always is, but it feels it, especially more so this no, year. No, cuz like usually they would have spaced them out more like since like August or mm. whatever, but here it's like they're just shoving them all into November and December. Yeah, so and it's just ridiculous. So it's it's overwhelming. There's this gigantic crushing wave of all these films just from this year. Imagine yeah. also having the anxiety of keeping up with classics. Like I, I haven't seen every Hitchcock movie. Yeah. I haven't seen everyone. I've seen most I, of them. I admire yeah. Kubrick for one one reason and one reason alone. He made thirteen movies. Thanks, you, buddy. That, that's manageable. Yeah, it's, it's not even hard to fit in AI like, on top of that. It's yeah, pretty it's like, great. Oh, yeah. Cool. Thank you, Kubrick, for for waiting yeah. a decade in between films. Same with Terrence yeah. Malick. It's like, yeah, or David on... Lynch. It's like all very manageable. Yeah, you can, you can keep really keep up with filmmakers like yeah. that, and then you turn around and look at Takashi Miike and just You're say, like, "Fuck you! <laughs> you made eight films this year." <laughs> 
Seriously, he's got like 105 films in his filmography. It's, it's, it, it, there's definitely, when you become like a super fan of anything, mm. this like collector's mentality starts, kick, yeah, starts yeah. ticking in. And you want to like, you want to see it all. You want to like, even if you can't see everything, you want to see everything in a certain category. So you want to see like every movie in this franchise mm. or every movie this director ever made or every movie this actor ever mm. made. And that's really fun. And I still do that. And that's some stuff that we do in some of our shows. But... It's so much pressure. Yeah. It's so much pressure. And pressure, in my experience, doesn't help. It, it doesn't add to the, your enjoyment of the thing. No, it's, you really should. You, I mean, if, if some people it does, and I, yeah, I can't well, judge, you know, but like, and I'm definitely not saying if, if pressure helps you in some way, if that, if, if that enhances the experience, more power to you, I guess. But in my experience and the experience I have talking to other people, Feeling a lot of pressure to like catch up on things just makes it work. Yeah. And it shouldn't be work. It is art. Even when it's work, you have to remember, even when you make it your job, like we do, uh, it's important every once in a while, just remember like, hey, we get to watch movies. We're we're, we're supposed to be doing this for fun. Let's do this for fun every once in a while. Uh, Like, if we can't enjoy this job, (laughs) there's no hope. The job is to see movies and talk about how good they are and like their place in history. That's... It's not hard because you know, there's a lot of involved scheduling and difficult to make money at and all yeah, that kind of stuff. All that stuff is true. But it's still a fun gig, so let's not rob it of that. It, it's a fun gig until we have to watch Home Alone 6 and it's just Even a, then, painful. It's uh, like they, have, they have those things online like, for $1 million, mm. could you watch Catwoman all day for 24 hours? And I'm like, yes. D- dude, I watched three Human Centipede movies. How strong do you think, yeah. how weak do you think I am? Yeah, like, I, I can, I can it's, stand it's not it, that bad. I can stand just about anything at this point. Yeah, it's, seriously, it's just, I can watch, I can, if you give me a million dollars to watch the, and I hate the Human Centipede 3. Oh. If you give me a million dollars to watch that over and over again on a loop for a day, it would not be a fun day. It would be worth a million dollars. A million dollars I would totally cash, do yeah. that. Yeah, that's totally worth, yeah, I'd do that. Like, that's not... <laughs> It's not it's not the physically most grueling job in the world. There are other considerations. So, especially if it's not your job, don't let it become your job. Like don't, don't 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 let it become that's let me rephrase. Don't let it become quote unquote work. Don't let it become a chore. I think that's what I'm getting at. Never let uh, it become a chore. It's not yeah, worth it, it. It should. They shouldn't. I mean, sometimes they should feel like homework because some films do warrant that kind homework of study. Can but, be fun, but homework if you enjoy is, the topic. Yeah, homework and study and delving in and letting your mind do that is indeed very fun. Yeah, I. I, I get through a lot of that sort of FOMO or the fact that you know you'll never catch up on every classic. Um. By reminding myself that this is an incredibly modern phenomenon, the av- availability of a gigantic catalog yeah. of millions of films is is only maybe twenty five years old. Like yeah. before that, people had to like go make to vi- do make do with what was playing at their local art houses. There were more theaters at the time. Yeah, but there still, were a lot of repertory houses. But they could but only show even, so many movies. Yeah, even then, yeah. Uh, and then maybe only, what yeah. you could catch on TV and like, but so, then it was, there was no DVR so and they were edited and they were cut. They were trimmed the, for uh, widescreen. Like, yeah. What's more, I, I didn't get into movies until a little bit later than a lot of my peers. You mm. know, you, you got, get to brag about seeing like Mrs. Midover at six. I didn't become obsessed with movies <laughs> until I was like in high school or so. And when it's I really, not a competition. really kind of dove in, uh, but everybody, uh, is going to have a different, mental catalog growing up 
the kind of things you absorb, you absorb should be different from other people's. You should see films that nobody else has seen. Well, you should skip classics that everybody else has seen because <laughs> of your your te- your textured upbringing. Yeah, is going to lead you to different stuff. I mean, I don't know. And if it's, it's okay. I don't know if should is the right word here, but you're my, going to regardless. You're, uh, that's and my you, point. You should be proud of that. Yeah. Yes, and. Uh, like, I'm but, definitely going to skip Rebel Without a Cause. Fuck that movie. I'm going to be that guy. Like, I don't know if that's the attitude <laughs> you to take. But... If you don't want to see Rebel Without a Cause, or it's just not yeah. available to you for some reason, yeah. don't kill yourself. It's well, fine. Well, never kill yourself. Well, yeah, no. you know, but like, it's definitely not like worth like making a thing out of it. You'll get to it eventually if you want to. My point is, yeah. I, I saw a lot of weird things growing up that only I saw that I got really attached sure. to because they were things I got to discover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was true of anybody growing up in a time of pre-video stores. They would see whatever was playing at their local grindhouse. Yeah. They would see random midnight movies in the 70s. They would see whatever, whatever the big blockbuster was at the theater near them. And their like mental catalog of the films they've seen was completely different from somebody living on the opposite coast. I also think and that when, that's okay. It's okay yeah. to have your own mental catalog. It's okay yeah. to be unique in that regard. Yeah. You don't have to memorize the syllabus. You don't yeah. have to look at the canon and fill in all of the boxes that everybody else has come together with. Yeah. No, you true. just can follow your passion and that's totally acceptable. I love all of that. Mm. And I think that's, and I think there's something to be said also for, when, especially when you're young and you're experiencing cinema for the first time and you know you're not going to see the first i don't know you're not going to see the first heist movie ever as your first heist movie you'll see whatever the first heist movie you see mm-hmm. is same thing for your first fight movie or your first rom-com or whatever um those films can and should be important to you mm-hmm. and i think it's sometimes those first experiences where we see something and maybe it's not the perfect example of something maybe it is flawed but it can mean something deeply to you and when movies mean something a lot mm-hmm. To one or or even just a few people, um, those movies have a lot of power, and then we can share how powerful that felt with other people, mm. and then maybe other people will see those movies which maybe aren't canonized mm. as truly valuable, and then we start getting different and interesting films as part of the conversation of films that really matter to us, mm-hmm. and I think that's good. It's natural. It's not something you have to seek out. It will just happen. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I guess my point is, don't worry about it. But again, these are all good perspectives. So uh, let's move on. Okay. Uh, here is a letter from Ensign Gerbrandt. Uh, hello, Ensign. <laughs> Greetings, Captain Seibel and Commander Viviani. <laughs> I guess I'm still the captain here. I, I, is Commander Commander's below Captain? Yeah, right? yeah. First Officer is Commander. Okay. So like Commander Data, like Data's a Commander, right? Data's a Lieutenant Commander. Is that above or below? That's commander? below. That's below okay. Commander. Uh, oh my go, god! Go. I outrank Data. Yeah. I should, <laughs> Data, get me some coffee. There, there are uh, on Next Generation. Uh, there's only one captain on the ship. That's Captain yeah, Picard. Right. Uh, commander Riker is a commander. Yeah, is he he's, the only he's, commander? He's the first officer. Uh, Doctor Crusher is also commander. Okay. Yeah, she she holds the rank of commander. Right. Right. Okay. Um, I don't think we meet any other commanders because both the show. commander because both Riker and Crusher are the only ones who, under specific situations, can tell Captain can, Picard what to do. Yeah, can like pull rank on the captain. Yeah, they're the only ones who can have that power. Mm-hmm. They have the power in different situations, but they can do yeah. it. Okay, cool. All right, I guess that makes sense. All right, um, moving on. Um, I was trying. Oh, um, M- Montgomery Scott was lieutenant commander. Sure, but I think Doctor McCoy was also a commander, as no in idea. addition to Spock. Um, anyway, dear Captain Seibold and Commander Bibiani, yes. Uh, salutations from the USS Music Story in geosynchronous orbit, <laughs> orbit above Winnipeg, Manitoba. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. uh, see my Winnipeg by Guy Madden. It's a very Ooh. good movie. 
no one here on my starship cares about Star Trek like I do. Um, there is a, you're on a starship on a starship and they don't know about Star Trek. Weird. Kind of, they're they're being brainwashed take by some for, weird alien spore. Just um, taking it for granted at that point. There is another crewman who does adore the historical tapes that chronicle the adventures of the USS Enterprise D, but he refuses to watch the other records following the other crews unless it was in feature length format. And even then, he has rather strong opinions. Uh, so I feel rather alone on lower decks because I'm unable to converse with anybody about this topic. And I hope yeah. you two high ranking officers will allow this brief moment for me to speak freely. <clears throat> Star Trek prodigy is garbage, absolute <laughs> refuse and an insult that all it was is and is to come from the Star Trek franchise. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Look, That's a take. New Star Trek is really rough going. Um, yeah. I'm getting that impression. Yeah, lo- lower decks has come out swinging. Like they, they're bringing it. I saw a free, I've seen a few episodes of lower decks and I really liked it. I saw the first one or two episodes of discovery. Mm. Wasn't really feeling it, but I heard it gets better. But anyway, well, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, we'll get there eventually. Uh, oh, my Landrew. This show infuriates <laughs> me so much. I feel like the humanoids in charge of these new Star Trek shows have hit a new low. I thought Discovery was the worst it could be, but I feel like even that took it. I think even they took that as a personal challenge to do even worse. Outside the whole Star Star Warsification of Star Trek, which is an ongoing issue, mm-hmm. I think what angers me most is the fact that the show supposedly exists to introduce children to Star Trek. I remember sitting with my piano teacher's family in the living room, waiting for my sibling to finish their piano lesson. It was then that I first was introduced to Star Trek and Captain Picard and Data. I was six. I was six when I first discovered Star Trek. <laughs> Kids don't need an introduction to Star Trek. Star no. Trek is his own introduction. It's a pretty kid-friendly show. I, I, uh, I saw the first season whenever it came. I saw, I don't know, five or six mm-hmm. when it first debuted. And honestly, I'm the more I'm watching The Next Generation, re-watching it for our show all yesterday's on our Patreon... Um, it stuck with me. Like, I remember a lot of those episodes a lot better than I thought I did. Yeah, yeah. Like, they just... And that did create a, a connection to a lot of those characters, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I find myself very ir- irritated when children's media speaks down to children. Mm-hmm. It makes it mind-numbing uh, for the adults forced to live with the trash on in the background, but also doesn't challenge children to grow and mature. Uh, we, if we always try to put a media at an equal level for children's comprehension, that will cause stagnation in their development. Now, I'm not arguing that we should throw children into the deep end and make them watch a Guy Madden movie when they're four. Hey, Guy hey. Madden. Uh, but introducing topics that will cause children to ask questions and having people willing to help answer these questions is so much better than the drivel Star Trek prodigy is shoveling. Wow. Sorry, Captain and Commander. I think that the show is doing such an egregious sin against the franchise. I needed to vent a little bit. Sigh. Anyway, I hope you two are doing well. Please give my regards to Rear Admiral Luca. <laughs> <laughs> Sincerely, Ensign Gerbrandt. Well, well um, at ease, Ensign. Why don't you take some time on the holodeck and cool off? There, there's two issues here. Um, yes, the Star Warsification of Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. I brought up on a recent episode that uh, the Star Trek movies, specifically the Next Generation films, mm-hmm. lean way too hard into action when the Next Generation is not an action show. I still think that's mostly First Contact and Nemesis. I really don't see uh, and, and, and eh. Insurrection. There's like phaser battles, and it's eh. about they do get to do cliched action movie but dialogue. But the premise like, is times so, up, and they blow something. But the up. premise it's, is so dull. Like it's really, <laughs> it's really is, not that Star Warsy. The premise is fu- well, but well, I'm not they, saying the premise is. I'm, I'm not saying the problem with that movie is the premise. What I'm saying is the premise of that movie is not action-packed chasing a MacGuffin fighting mm. for your life all the time it's a, it's about like a diplomatic issue like yeah, and it's, but I, I'm not saying that like I, I get it I just feel like if that was your er example mm. of how Star Wars the Star Trek could get it's not that much I well, think first contact 
Nemesis and definitely the Abrams movies the Abr- are, the, yeah. are the prime offenders. Well, the, the the Abrams movies are the thing that really sort of pushed it over. And well, Abrams even admitted yeah. he wasn't a Star Trek guy. He was yeah, a Star was, Wars guy. So and he, he was Star making him Star, Star Wars. Yeah. And um, uh, Forbes writer Scott Mendelson pointed this out mm-hmm. um, that the first uh, two Abrams Star Trek movies, uh, Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness, were big hits. Um, I, I hate Star Trek. Into, Into Darkness, Darkness less so. Like it didn't make as much le, money as you'd think. Less so, but it still yeah. made its money. money. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was a there was this general sense that those movies should all be making a billion dollars, and I'm like, I think this shows a little bit more niche than you're thinking. But, but uh, like they were, that's what they were aiming for. They were trying but to do a big mainstream. Star success. Trek Beyond, rather notoriously, wasn't as big a hit as those yeah. first two, and. Some people said, oh, they, they were sort of tired of that universe by then, whatever the reason. Mm. But uh, Scott Mendelson pointed out the reason those first two were a big hit was because they looked a lot like Star Wars and we didn't have Star Wars at that point. Mm. Did, uh, yeah, Disney hadn't Disney had, started yeah, the series again. Had, hadn't yeah. bought it. And yeah, uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens came out in 2015. I think Star Trek Beyond was that year or the next year. So the idea that we have Star Wars now, we don't need a Star Wars version of Trek now. Yeah. So uh, using even Trek as sort of like this Star Wars crutch. To even get when you think about uh, like when the original series films were coming out, uh-huh. we only had a couple of Star Warses. Yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't like they were all they were all on home video, or there were like six movies, or nine movies, or TV shows, or whatever. We had a couple of Star Wars movies. There was room for more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so. Star Star Trek was filling a different need, and yeah. uh, when they t- and there was this big political battle, and I, I'll, I'll very briefly uh, there was a split in Viacom between CBS and Paramount, so they became two different entities. CBS yeah. had the show, Paramount had the movies, yeah. and the movies had to be legally different from the show, like it was in the contracts. I think for toy reasons. Yeah. Uh, so when they came when it came time to make a new movie, they deliberately had to make it very, very different from what Star Trek was. It had was. to look different. The costumes yeah, like, had to be different. Like, all those like little changes kn- were not arbitrary. They were important. Nobody yeah. knows what the actual contract said. Well, I mean, people know what they... Like, yeah. the public, not, do- the public doesn't enough. know what the actual contract yeah. says, but the, the rumored number was it had to be, like, at least, like, 20 to 30% different. Uh, I don't know how, how you measure that sort of thing, but... Uh, figure, but yeah. And then uh, those films were big enough hits that when it came time for uh, CBS All Access, now known as Paramount Plus, uh, came out, Mm. they decided to sort of roll with that vibe. It's like, we Mm. want this to be, Star Trek is now an action show. Well, if that many people want to see that movies, we want them coming in here and watching the show. Yeah. And we don't want them to come here and watch the show and find something nerdy. So we yeah, will make so something more action-packed tr- to yeah, suit that audience, yeah. And uh, not only is it uh, action-packed now, and it's you know, full of special effects and you know, rapid-fire phasers and stuff, and no yeah. diplomacy, and people killing and cussing, and it's just super violent now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also really, really badly written. Uh, those are not good mm-hmm. script, not good action scripts, even. So yeah. it's it's a big, big problem. And uh, I understand what's happening with Prodigy as well. Have you watched Prodigy? I've watched every episode of Prodigy to date. And uh, what there's is, only what five is, episodes in uh, as your, of this recording. No, no, real fast. Uh, I haven't watched this yet, but it's my understanding mm-hmm. that it's about a bunch of young kids from different alien species mm-hmm. who end up like taking charge of a starship, and they're being sort of trained by a hologram tutorial version of Captain Janeway. Uh, yes, the the kids are escaped uh, mining slaves. Ah! They, they come from a Star Wars mining planet, and okay. they look like Star Wars species. In fact, some of the characters 
look like Star Wars characters, like specific yeah. Star Wars characters. So they're not like um, they're not like Federation cadets. They're just random people who no, manage to steal a Federation they, type starship. They're looking for a lost Federation starship. Okay. It's called the USS Protostar, and um, they they find this ship and they uh, they steal it. They they okay. abscond with it. And there's an Emperor Palpatine is on their tail. Essentially, okay, you know, that's, like, you know an, that's not a bad hook. And, there, and there's and there's a Darth Vader on their it's tail. It's not a bad hook. Well. A bunch it's of noobs a, end up on a starship, and there's a there's a hologram no, of a famous captain helping him out. If the, that's not bad. That's if, a good start. Yeah. If this was about uh, the kids discovering uh, Starfleet principles, or yeah. or if you wanted to go like the education bent, and it was more about sort of astral facts, and mm. here's what a nebula is, and here's what happens to the life cycle of a star. Yeah, I like that would have been co- that would have been cool too. But both it's, of those things are cool. But it's an action show. It's about you chases and escapes. Too. You can have some action. You can okay. They're being pursued. I guess mm. that's okay. But like, mm. you still want it to ha- embody the principles of it's, Starfleet because here's people who are not part of Starfleet. Mm. It'd be cool to have them learn that. It's shit. it's Star Wars characters on a Starfleet mm. vessel. It's mm. it's essentially uh, asking who would win in a fight, which has never really been the the mm. Star War Star Trek thing. That's the Star Wars thing. Yeah. The answer is Star um, Trek, by the way. <laughs> uh, I remember uh, my favorite comedian, Greg Proops, was once asked, what's better, uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? And he says, well, I was in Star Wars. <laughs> so Star Trek. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah um, Greg Proops played uh, one head of a two-headed alien doing the announcement at the pod race in The Phantom Menace. He got to yell things like, it's Skywalker! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Admittedly, I would I would totally jump at that gig too. Oh, absolutely! That's a fun yeah. gig. I don't care and, uh, what it is. I'd totally do that. And he was going to like, do it uh, with like his head was going to be in live action and then superimposed on like an alien body. Yeah. So there's pictures of him like in this like really wild alien makeup doing yeah. the voices. And then I just did it with CGI. And then they just did it with CGI instead. So and the sad. CGI thing looks awful. Yeah. Uh, uh, but second point of that letter was the. Uh, Aiming more sophisticated media at a child audience means having to make it simpler or less sophisticated or less less uh, intelligent or less complex. In well, some that's way. that's one take people yeah. seem to have, and I and I and I actually am totally yeah. with there's a, uh, the ensign here, where yeah. I actually think that for the most part, young people, young people want to be older. Mm. Being young sucks. We, well, we, we romanticize it because... <laughs> I, I liked being young. Oh, but listen. Yeah. No, no. Okay. I'm exaggerating for comedic effect. Being mm. young can be wonderful. Being young can also be very harrowing. Mm. All right? You don't have a lot of control over your life. Everyone's always telling you what to do. There's a reason why Home Alone works as a movie. It's because it's a fantasy about not having any adults around. Yeah. All right? You're, you're vulnerable. Uh, you have no power. You have no money. You have no, no legal... Like rights, you can't like vote or anything like that. I mean, you have rights, but you don't have you, you don't have any power in the system. No one listens to you. There's a lot of downsides to being young. So I find often when young people gravitate towards a fantasy, the fantasy usually involves either being older or having responsibilities of older people. Yeah. You know, having power, being like, you know, this, that that was the fundamental fantasy behind He-Man. Here is this scrawny kid. Or at least that was the idea. Then I'm drawing him the same way as He Man because mm-hmm. they were lazy. But uh, it's but here's the idea: is here's here's a kid, and then he gets a magic sword, and now he's powerful. Mm. That's the fantasy. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why Ghostbusters succeeded, not because of the movies. The movies were hits. The animated series mm. was something that made it seem like an aspirational thing. You too could have the day job. 
<laughs> and there would be so many great adventures, and it'd be super cool, that kind of thing. And a lot of those episodes didn't talk down yeah. to the audience. Um, well, I mean, there were there were kid episodes. There were kid episodes. Like, Some were. It I've, got I've, it got more kid friendly as the series went on. I've but the early more, like first fifty or seventy episodes of that show are actually pretty, are actually pretty much like all ages, reasonably intelligent. I've I've shows. made uh, I've made the mistake of going back, and it's not not nearly as good as I remember. No, but for a kid, uh, it's better than a lot of the stuff that was out there. Is my point. We yeah. gravitated towards stuff like that because it was a little smarter, hmm. a little bit more aspirational, just a little bit more quote unquote adult than what else was available right but, now, but, but, and that's it's... something that I. Think think i think it's something kids crave Hmm. is to be treated with a little bit more respect and i think when you have a show that does that Hmm. i think it's hard for kids to ignore it yeah the 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 thing is you look at sort of the american film media landscape and you know the, the the talk tends to circle around superheroes all the time let's ask jane campion about superheroes now i don't care what jane campion thinks about superheroes ask her I about mean, her movies I, yeah that's a uh, that's an absurd question like yeah. I, what does that have to, anything to do with what she's doing hey timing hey, lang what would you do with <laughs> spider-man it's like i, I don't uh, spider-man would sit in a chair for five minutes was, not doing anything that there was a great. gag someone that they did like a fake mock-up of a variety headline why alfred hitchcock will never make a superhero movie. <laughs> and it it was one of those classic, like, like you know, Pitchcock things that came holding his hands, like, oh, and it's just the quote is, I'm dead. <laughs> so, like, a, it's always a gotcha question, it always gets our, our gets us up in a dander, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it's designed to do so, and it works. Uh, but you'll notice that that's where the attention is, and that kind of story is where a lot where most uh, of the conversations are being led, and those are very simple stories. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of moving parts in them, but there's not a lot of complicated ideas in them. There's not yeah. a lot of uh, challenging concepts being introduced to these things. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, if one of these movies comes out and it does challenge sort of superhero status quo, they tend to get a little bit. Uh, a little bit pilloried by uh, certain critics or certain audiences. Mm. Um, the, the, well, that doesn't mean they do it well. Not necessarily, but yeah. they're like the villain twist in Iron Man three. I thought was actually kind of clever yeah. for as these stories kind of go. And yeah. but then a lot of people get... reacted negatively to that because it was, I, I don't know, maybe too unexpected. But I think you also end uh, up with things like say Batman v Superman, mm. which even in its director's cut mm. tries to bring up all these ideas about morality or whatever, mm. and it, it kind of just does them really badly. Well, because like, in a really it, thudding way, it, it does it, them in an I, immature fashion. It, it kind of like skirts up to the question, but and says, "Wow, that's a profound question." Yeah, could you ask it and then maybe deal come with up, it? Like, yeah. have a discussion about that, answer it in some significant way. No, we're too busy being tough. Yeah, it, it, being it, cool. The, it, the, the movie's far too testicular to uh to yeah it is it is dionysian and not aristotelian uh and excuse to, me <laughs> to, oh to skew into Nietzsche a, for a second i am not um, qualified to co-host this show anymore you know what those words mean i'm vaguely uh, aware <laughs> but uh i can google it yeah this idea that uh things need to like media needs to be widely accessible to the most number of people uh, is is a very, very recent concept because the biggest hit films tend to be accessible to kids as well as adults. Yeah, they, the films that everybody yeah. might have an interest yeah, it's, in as opposed it's, to it's guaranteed it's, uh, to only kind of and be interesting the, um, to one group. And all of that is for quadrant thinking. It's that yeah. we have to appeal to the greatest number of people, which means we can't make it too kiddified 
because we want like slightly mm-hmm. older kids because grown-ups wouldn't want to see that. Yeah. But we can't make it too sophisticated either because then kids wouldn't want to see it. Yeah. Uh, and this is studio thinking, by the way. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So as such, we get this very limited range of types of ideas that are getting into our feature films. Yeah. Well, maybe feel, we'll brush up against big yeah. ideas, but we won't actually deal with them very was, well. And, yeah. and yeah, I was shocked to learn how few films were rated G these days. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, right? Like there's there's like less than two dozen in the last couple of years. Uh, Clifford yeah. the Big Red Dog was rated PG. Yeah, so like you, had to, you had to toughen up Clifford the Big Red Dog. I what they did? Did they just have like a, a couple like I think I they guess s- the dog pees on a tree, but dogs do that. I, That's I, not even. I, somebody might have said the word "damn" a couple times. Um, I was having this conversation. I think it was about Clifford, but maybe it was something mm-hmm. else. But like this whole idea that um, you know you don't want films that are rated G because. Yeah, adults won't want to see them. Not on their own, anyway. Well, that's yeah. but there's the, that's, the that's idea the that there's thought, a stigma yeah. against rated G, like sort of the opposite of how there's a stigma against like NZ seventeen. Like yeah. it's just too limiting in what the audience might be interested in, just based on the rating alone. And the weirdest example of that, and we'll move on after this, but the weirdest example of that is Jillian Armstrong's Little Women, J- the ninety four version, ninety four mm-hmm. version with Winona Ryder and Christian Bale and Kirsten Dunst and Susan Sarandon. Great movie genuinely great movie it's rated pg my mom was a teacher Mm. throughout uh, the 90s and most of the 2000s and uh she loved this movie and she wanted to show it in her classroom because it's a very good adaptation it's very age appropriate for everybody and she couldn't because it was pg and in an elementary school and public school you're only allowed to show a g-rated film without getting like permission slips okay so if it's g it's fine if it's not g it's not fine so she couldn't show this movie because it's PG and it baffled her. And so like, Hey, listen, we need to rent this movie and we need to watch it. And we literally watched it and we took notes and we paused it. We were trying to figure out why is this rated PG? And then finally we were able to find, this is before like the internet made this readily available. Mm. Um, the notes from the MPAA for why okay. it is, for why it is rated PG language. Uh, you will not find milder language <laughs> than in Little Based Women. Louise May Alcott's. And, yeah, what are they going to throw in like a, there's a no, motherfucker there's, or something? There's, yes. there's no. There's not even a damn. Yeah. In this movie, the closest thing we found is there's a there's a one scene where both Amy and Joe use the word blast, like blast it. Mm. And they are chided for using slang. <laughs> and then at one point, and maybe this is it, they darn, say like, darn tootin language. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Basically. And then, and then at one point, I think uh, Joe says someone like, Oh, don't, don't chastise me for that. You're being a ninny pinny. And it's like, and I'm like, this is it. It's not even like, I've seen like movies that were like rated PG for like thematic stuff, mature so, themes. Yeah, and if you wanted to so, say somebody dies or they discuss yeah, divorce, there's, there's, there's things there's that are a little rough a for death small children. In yeah. Little Women. There's okay. a death in Little without ruining or telling you who it is. There's a death in Little Women, and it's intense. Hmm. If that was the reason, I would be like, okay, I think you're exaggerating it, but you know, whatever. I, that's an intense scene. No, language. There's no harsh language in it. I can't find it anywhere. It's absurd, yeah, but uh, but they wanted the PG, so they just made up a reason for it. It's nonsense. It, it is nonsense, and um, but yeah, I, I, this goes to this this kind of flattening out and this homogeneity when it comes to a lot of popular entertainment now, yeah. and you know, 
Star Trek Discovery on their their you know, sort of edgier edge or a little bit R rated. There's like a little bit of nudity and there's a lot of cussing and violence. That's nudity? the thing that's yeah. There's nudity in the new shows. There's Klingon nudity in Star Trek Discovery. Finally. Yeah. What? And, and, and it's the new Klingons, so they, they look completely different from what you're used to. I, I, don't, I think it's an arbitrary um, choice, but whatever, yeah. Uh, and yeah, they, they have I, just a, want, I just want Michael Dorn to just come in and see the new Klingons like, we do not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> in the second season of Discovery, they said, yes, we didn't have hair in the first season because... Um, we shave our heads in time of war. Oh, do you, sure. asshole? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, God. It's just, yeah. it's, and yeah, so on the on the harder edge, we have like Star Trek Picard, where they say things like, shut the fuck up in, in Picard. And people are oh, smoking and drinking and finally, murdering each other. Finally, it's edgy and yeah, have a reason like, to watch it. Oh my, so that that's clearly like it's R-rated, but it's meant to appeal to like the edgy teens who clearly feel like yeah. Star Trek is a little too gentle. And now we have the gentle Star Trek and Prodigy, but we're still hovering around 11 to 17. That's where most yeah. popular entertainment is right now. We can't reach beyond or below that. And that's really frustrating it's because because I because I want more than that. I'm 43. That, I, I don't want things for 11 to 17 year olds. I think we're going to reach a point. I don't know when. I hope it's soon. Where the people who like listen, so much media is made for people who are in their teens to like their late 20s. This kind of halcyon era where you have a lot more income than you have actual responsibility, uh, and. Uh, that's fine. There's a lot of movies and media that appeal to people, particularly in that age demographic, that I can still enjoy as someone who is rapidly approaching 40, and mm. I know other people who are older than I can enjoy it, too. Um, the problem is is that we also just keep getting older, don't we? <laughs> yep. So, like, I can enjoy stuff that I enjoyed in my 20s or that other people wouldn't enjoy in their 20s, but I'm also interested in stuff that speak to me now. Mm. But the media only wants to talk about stuff for... People in their teens and twenties, and there's we're constantly getting more of them. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're aging out, and there aren't isn't anyone left in their teens. No, we're cycling through. People are having less kids. People are I, having I, less I'm kids. I'm interested to see where that's going to be in a generation. But my point is this: so much of entertainment media is, and just just to keep a specific example, is focused on the teen to twenty something demographic, because there's a lot of it, and I get it, hmm. but. The people who used to be in the teen and 20-something demographic who are getting older and, if not necessarily more mature, certainly more experienced and certainly... It's a very, very diplomatic way of putting it. I think that's a fair way of putting it, where you don't necessarily have to be wise, but you're, you've are you lived longer, you've gone through more, different, exper- different stories will speak to your experience. Mm. Um and they're not going to necessarily be this stuff for teenagers. And we're missing this opportunity to start focusing more on that stuff that appeals to people in their 40s and 50s because they still watch movies. It's not like I hit 40, I don't watch movies anymore. No. No. Maybe you well, don't watch was, as much, but you watch, and the, right? And there was, I was really frustrated because when I hit 30, I was like, okay, you know what? I can start putting this stuff away. I can. Yeah. I don't have to pay as much attention to comic book stuff. And that's like right when like this big surge <laughs> of superhero stuff started to come in. And like the rise of geek media and geek uh, mm-hmm. journalism became really really huge yeah, right around the, the time I turned, right, right around the time I was turning 30 and yeah. and people were grabbing me by the collars and saying no you don't have to put your kids stuff down but I want to no pick it up again it's like <laughs> well, okay fine the infinity gauntlet is like it's a really... metaphor for and it's like uh, so I, I socialism I don't know <laughs> like, can I write about Dostoevsky instead no <laughs> 
find a way to make it about Star Trek. Yeah, so yeah. And, and, and not the old Star Trek, the new one. Make it, make it new and edgy. So uh, yeah. I, I appreciate. We have gone on a quite a big tangent uh, here, but I think yeah, this is all really on. significant. It is. Um, Let's yeah. Move on. <laughs> Let's just move on. Yeah. Anyway, demographic. There's no end to this Boo. conversation. Um, here's a letter from Jeremy. Hi, Hi Jeremy. Jeremy. Uh, dear Bibbs and Rockmeister, uh, I'm writing from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Another Ooh, Canadian letter nice. uh, where our cinematic claim to fame is Cool Runnings was shot here. I like Cool Runnings. <laughs> you finally saw Cool Runnings not finally that long ago. It's pretty good, right? It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. it's a d- totally effective sports movie. Yeah. Uh, I went to college in Tacoma, Washington. Tacoma, Washington's claim to fame was the hand that rocks the cradle house was nearby. Ooh, <laughs> creepy house. And then, of course, I moved back to L.A., where it's like something is being shot on every street corner. Yeah. Um, first of all, I love your podcast, and I think they keep the spirit of really insightful film criticism alive. Keep up the good work. Thank you. We Thank try. you very much. Uh, now on to my question. There always mm. seems to be uh, some ongoing discourse concerning how filmmaking is a young person's game. Oh, this ties in. Huh. Uh, most directors finish their careers with subpar films that are below their normal standards. I often wonder how valid this criticism is. Looking back at the careers of some of my favorite directors, I would say a lot of their later films were some of the more interesting and assured pieces that they've made. I would even go so far as to say a lot of directors' final films, such as Altman's A Prairie for Home Companion, Lubitsch's Clooney Brown, uh, Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in America, and Yasujiro Ozu's An Autumn Afternoon could stand among their best work. I even think so-called lesser films like Hitchcock's Family Plot and Billy Wilder's Buddy Buddy have their moments and are worth discussing. I think there are some exceptions to the rule, but I think it's important to know that some directors simply struggle by having not having the resources or clout once granted to them in their younger years. Yeah. Part of the problem might come down to ageism. Once you mm-hmm. grow older, your opinions no longer matter, and you're pegged as old-fashioned. However, I do not believe being older makes you automatically out of touch or passe. Spielberg, Scott, I'm guessing Ridley Scott, and yeah. Scorsese, for example, are all in their 70s. Uh, Scorsese's in his 80s. Mm. Uh, and are making some of the best films of their careers. Anyway, I hope I was just wondering what are some of your thoughts on this topic? Does this argument hold any water? Should directors be put out to pasture once they have peaked? What are some of your favorite final films from great directors? Thanks so much and keep up the great work. Regards from Canada, Jeremy. Yeah, this does connect actually. And I think you I think hit the nail on the head on some of it where, um, if you haven't made, and this is true for anyone regardless of age, if you haven't made a hit film lately, it's harder for you to get projects off the ground, mm-hmm. especially projects that you're really passionate about. So, like yeah. if you you might have to do like one of like one for the studio and hope it makes money, mm-hmm. and then you can have a little bit more clout and can do it's something. Like a, we have a little bit more control, a little bit more Sp- daring. Spielberg wasn't allowed to make the post unless he made Ready Player One. Yeah, Spielberg has trouble making movies. I know he's still making great movies, mm-hmm. but like he's having trouble making movies. Yeah, well, uh, John, That's sad. John Waters gave up. Yeah, he he, uh, he hasn't made a movie since Dirty Shame in two thousand four. It's yeah. been a while since he made a film. I mean, he's he's, he's at a, peace with it. He doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, but uh, if he's happy. Like he's I said, happy, he but, gave up. Uh, yeah. he, he gave up. That is making movies. Yeah. He likes writing books and doing art shows. And he's still very tours. busy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was trying to get uh, movie money together for a Christmas movie. Oh, Can you imagine God. that we the, the John Waters Christmas movie it was we going to be robbed. called Fruitcake? I would just and, want uh, to throw. I want to win the lottery and throw money at him. Like, please, just do fruitcake. It was a musical about oh. about orphans who steal meat, and, oh. and Johnny Knoxville was going to be like their uh, their. Um, like artless Dodger kind of leader character. All right, I'm ambivalent about Johnny Knoxville, but other than that, it's fine. Well, he, he was in a dirty share, so it was. No, no, I've Waters got no objection again, but... to Johnny Knoxville. I just it doesn't make me go ooh. It's like I, okay, I, fine. I, yeah. I, I think Johnny Knoxville's really way more interesting now that he's a little older. I agree, uh, but. Uh, but yeah, he he couldn't get funding. No one would yeah. give him funding. Uh, a because a dirty shame tanked yeah. pretty horrendously. It was rated NC seventeen. Nobody would mm. carry it. Dirty shame is fine. I like a dirty shame a lot, actually. Mm. 
but yeah, he he gave up a lot of uh, a lot of older filmmakers. Uh, that is older. That is like over sixty, I think. Yeah, um, they just struggle. Yeah, they, they, studio s- they yeah. start to have have trouble getting it. Um, we have talked in the past about the whole generation of horror filmmakers. Yeah, John Carpenter, Joe Dante, mm-hmm. uh, you know, George A. Romero George really Romero, struggled. Yeah. These people couldn't get funding for their movies. Why not? They had a lot of huge hits like just mm-hmm. fifteen years ago. I remember I was actually hearing a story about how when George A. Romero wanted to do the first Resident Evil movie, he wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. He was super excited about it. Yeah, I think he already had a script and everything. And apparently they were like, ah, he hasn't made a hit movie in a while. And I'm like, "Not, no, what are you talking about? He did Creepshow, he did The Dark Half, he did, mm-hmm. like, these are, he made like, hit even, films. Even Land of the Dead was a hit. Well, that was after the, Re- the yeah. Resident Evil thing he was working on. Oh, but yeah, yeah he, he made hit films. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's nonsense. But it's like, it's always, what have you done for us lately? Yeah. And, there is ageism involved here. I think there really is. And I think one of the reasons why some people argue that some of the great filmmakers go out on some of their worst movies, I think, uh, is because a lot of times filmmakers who have long careers mm-hmm. um, end with mature movies. They're not necessarily About, making... You know, yeah. Older people's concerns, yeah. perhaps. Like even look at like, even look at someone like Stanley Kubrick. Mm. Uh, Stanley Kubrick uh, died while in post production on Eyes Wide Shut, and there was a lot of talk about Eyes Wide Shut. It had two of the hottest movie stars in the world, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. It was going to be NC seventeen. It was going to like be sexy as hell, and you watch it, and it's actually like a really mature film about marital jealousy. Yeah, yeah. and if you haven't experienced Eyes Wide jealousy- Shut, is excellent. By oh, it's a great movie. It's brilliant, and like, but it's a movie that. You can get it when you're younger, but it's mm. only after you've understood mm. what jealousy does to a relationship and how long-term relationships can be affected by attraction or, uh, or the desire to stray, if you must put it that way. Um, these are mature ideas, and they are not for people who just thought like A Clockwork Orange was badass. Well, first you know, of all, Clockwork Orange is not badass. You know what I mean? It's You can appreciate I, I, I a Clockwork Orange that, on a surface yeah. level. I, I understand what you're you know, saying. You can appreciate yeah. Doctor Strange Love on a surface level. Hmm. There is no like surface level where Eyes Wide Shut is fun. <laughs> yeah, I suppose It's not. not a fun film. It's not supposed to be. Well, the, and the so thing that's that people the, took that's from vibe. was Eyes, Eyes Wide Shut was the masked party. And you know, yeah. that that's sort of like the pop culture image that sort of yeah. that became the more accessible thing. Yeah. They're even joking about that. And that, that's that's Kum- what orgies look like in movies now. Yeah. Uh, what was the title of the Kumail Nanjiani Issa Rae? Uh, oh, Lovebirds. Lovebirds. Yeah. yeah they, they had an Eyes Wide Shut yeah. orgy in that movie as well. Uh, yeah. Um, Kurosawa's last film was called Madadayo. Mm-hmm. Madadayo, and which means not yet, and it's about an old man who is like a, he's he's dying. He's, he's he, uh, that's his toast. It's like, are you are you dead yet? No, not yet. Uh, and that is about coming to terms with the end of your life, and it was something that Kurosawa made when he was seventy at the end of his life. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Orson Welles had two actually mm-hmm. uh, before he died. The last film he ever completed was a film called F for Fake. Mm-hmm. which is as vibrant a movie as he ever made. And it's actually a very fitting quasi-documentary about charlatans. And it also, he de- relates it directly to his career as a filmmaker, hmm. which is a kind of fakery, and also his own career, which was based on a lot of duplicity. <laughs> and it's really, really cool and mm-hmm. honest and open. And then after he died, they finally finished a movie he had almost completely shot. Hmm. 
called The Other Side of the Wind, which is also incredibly vibrant and alive. <laughs> and it's also very much a look yeah. back at his own career, but it's very critical of it, I think. And I think yeah, it's very it's, good. And so that's a favorite. Those are, both, those are both last uh, movies and they're both favorites. Here's what's really strange. We, a, a certain age, I was talking about how um, you know Hollywood films are getting mm. talked about when they're aimed at a certain demographic and a lot of people are sort of zeroing out on those movies and having that level of a conversation. Those same people are also canonizing movies and uh, creating the discourse around what films should be taught on in colleges and grow up and put these things on syllabi. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a, a tweet recently of a... Uh, I wish I knew the source, but it was uh, a, a litany of the names of the filmmakers that are still to this day being taught most in college courses. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw this too. And, and it, was, yeah. it was like a bar graph. And Hitchcock was like way ahead, like double the second place person. Yeah. And you go down, and it's the same people I was being taught in the 90s. Yeah, like exact it's, same, the it's, exact same motherfuckers. And, and like, and there's again, only the, like one, there's only like two people of color there, on there at there was, all. There is uh, one black man, it was Spike Lee. Uh, there was, was one Asian man, it was Kurosawa. And yeah. there was one woman, and it was Lenny Riefenstahl. Lenny uh, Riefenstahl. <laughs> we haven't moved on from Lenny. If you don't no. know the name, she made the documentary trying of the will about why Nazis were great. Yeah, yeah. Um, we need to move the fuck on from Lenny Riefenstahl. There's and, so many. Everybody Varda! else was, was Varda's uh, right there. <laughs> yeah, Varda's amazing. Please teach Agnes Varda. There's so many. Schools. There's so many female filmmakers. Uh, and and uh. so yeah, the, the, that's just to sort of point out the lack of diversity in film educations. Yeah. But you know, these these uh, well, there's this there's this syllabuses were made by uh, younger men. And I feel like when somebody like uh, Scorsese or Spielberg uh, passes away, mm-hmm. not not putting a curse on it, just you know, no, it's, it's going to happen someday. Hopefully, hopefully um, in a long time. I feel like Scorsese's more recent films have been a lot more interesting. You yeah. look at uh, The Irishman. Uh, yeah. Okay, you could have shaved maybe twenty or thirty minutes out of the driving a sequence long, at the end. But like, yeah. But the fact that it is about these guys having their exhilarating rise and also their eventually just sort of dissipation into old age makes that film incredibly fascinating. Yeah. Um, I like looking at Spielberg, uh, who has gotten increasingly political as his career mm-hmm. has progressed. And I feel like films like Lincoln and The Post are among his best work. I think he's, once he but, started deciding to become, like, America's, like, historical chronicler, mm-hmm. I think he ended a really interesting phase. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. those are really great films for the most part. I think uh, making AI made him sort of, like, break out into this new plane. And I think his films after that became a lot a lot more different than what he I, was doing I think previously. He was leaning in that direction. I think Amistad is leaning in that no, direction. It's not Amistad, as good. Amistad is this is big schlocky Hollywood production. It's I agree, but I think, I think he's kind of trying to get there. Is my point? Maybe. I think, um, yeah. Uh, I, I don't like Amistad. Um, I, there's stuff I like in it, but fairly. But uh, when when they pass away and the, their uh, obituaries are written, mm. with Spielberg, the first film they're going to list is Raiders of the Lost Ark. They're going to list Jaws. They're going to list mm-hmm. the films that he came to prominence over and the films that are still part of the young person's pop culture conversation. Mm-hmm. These are the films that are seen as influential and such. Yeah. The canon is, for for shitty reasons, uh, almost entirely... For, throughout Again, history... Cinema history is only a little over 100 years old. Mm. Like, in the grand scheme of things, that's, that's nothing. That's nothing yeah. compared to most art. Uh, and yet... That so much of that time, it was either hard for non-white men to get movies made, hmm. or if you were able to get movies made, it was hard to get them seen and sort of appreciated by the critical community, which was mostly white men. Uh, and as a result, 
when we tend to focus on the history of cinema, like here's your broad overview of the history of cinema, you're going to get the same movies from white male filmmakers over mm-hmm. and over again, many of which are great films. That's neither here nor there, oh, yeah. but it's, it's extremely narrow minded and, and, mm-hmm. and narrow focused. And we need to expand on that canon. And I think that's true also as well for which films we decide to canonize in films with large careers. At the end of the day, as great as Raiders of the Lost Ark, Ark is, I think it is not one of Spielberg's most interesting movies. No, no, no. It's I, a great movie. You should totally I, watch it. I, but like, I, it's, I adore Raiders of the yeah. Lost Ark. But, uh, and if we're making a list of his best, it would be on there. If we're making a list of his most interesting, not in my top ten. No, no, no. Like I've said, I think yeah. I think Lincoln and The Post are both mm-hmm. not, not just good movies, but like kind of important. Yeah. That speak to the politics of the day as well as like featuring great performances from grand actors from yeah. Hollywood's like oldest like I would put great Emp- movies. I would put uh, I would put Empire of the Sun up actually, there. Actually, I haven't seen Empire of the it's Sun. So good. I think yeah. you really like it. But like he's um, made a, hell, nineteen forty one is an interesting view <laughs> of the so, of the nineteen uh, forties with a very different lens than I've, he would uh, take in something like yeah. Saving Private Ryan. And I think that's more interesting. Yeah, and and uh, the problem is what we when we talk about films generally, and this is me going off on a tangent, but I want to say it. The films we tend to talk about from the past and the ones we talk about the most are the ones that resemble what we're into now. Uh, we're really into uh, big sort of pop culture uh, fight movies right now, big comic book movies. So when we talk about movies from the past, it's all of the pop culture stuff that tends to get the most press, right? We're, rem- we're remaking Ghostbusters now, for God's sake. I guess, it's, yeah. yeah um, what are the best movies of the 1980s? Back to the Future mm-hmm. and Ghostbusters. And these are good movies. These are fine. Yeah. Why aren't we talking about how big comedy films were in the 1980s? Because we're not watching comedies now. I think if we were watching comedies now, we would start looking back through our own cinematic past through that lens, and we'd be picking up Mm. different things, and we'd be letting other films sort of fall by the wayside. We'd be, you know, suddenly, oh, remember when Crocodile Dundee was huge? It was huge. Uh, Crocodile Dundee was enormous. Three Men and a Baby was the highest grossing film of 1987, that year it came out. I think it's 1987, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, which is nonsense. The highest grossing film of 1993 was Jurassic Park. Do you know what the second highest grossing film was that year? Oh, 1993? Uh, was it Schindler's but, List? Because that was the same year. It, Schindler's List is a little further down the list. It was Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, there you go. A, a comedy film. Um, and again, those are domestic and that's... Yeah, yeah, it's there's whatever. There's biases to that. But, got, yeah. um, my, my point is we're focusing on... Uh, this is true that there is ageism sort of over film history and this has always been a problem. But I feel like we're, we're when we look at the filmographies of aging filmmakers today, we're only focusing on what they did as young men because they made certain types of they made young men movies. pop yeah young men pop entertainments is, yeah. uh, and that's what we're talking about right now Often is young men pop entertainments yeah. and I think if once trends shift the way we look at film history will also shift all it takes to break out of this mm-hmm. and this is something everyone can do is to you don't have to stop talking about what's contemporary mm. that's not you, you don't have to do that it's, it's contemporary it's relevant now everyone's talking about it you just have to make a concerted effort to talk about the other stuff too yeah like as much just talk about stuff that doesn't fit in that bubble talk about genres that aren't popular right now talk about movies that don't have this giant nostalgia wave connected to them mm. from the past yeah if we can just keep that going and popularize that then these movies won't die 
And eventually, they'll just pick up more steam as more people have heard of them, and it's more common to talk about them. This is how movies get rediscovered. Hmm. This is how movies get canonized over time. They just don't leave the conversation. That's it. Hmm. That's all there is. They don't leave. They don't have to be the biggest hit when they come out. They just don't leave. You can be the biggest hit ever, and no one's talking about you in five years. You're not part of the canon. That's what matters. So just talk about it. You can mm. do this every single day on Twitter and your regular life. Just make sure you talk about other types of art than yeah, the stuff that's yeah. currently trendy. And that's nothing wrong with being trendy. Lots of great things can be trendy, but we can't let that completely overshadow mm. so much of film history. Yeah, it's right. not fair. Anyway, that is, I think, I think that's it. That's, you think, that's you all. Know, do you want to do, another, you want to do one, more? one more? Let's do one more. Let's one more. That episode. We'll yeah. do one more. Later. All right. Um, yeah. Here's a letter from The Brain. Ooh. Hello, the brain. Uh, I, I read your letters however yeah. you sign them off, by the way. Uh, if, yeah. if, I don't read your name out of the subject. I will, I will just add uh, in a hearty narf. Dear Bins and Meister the Rock McCool. Okay. I think it was supposed to be Bibs. Ah. It says Bins. I'll call you Bins. That's fine. Uh, you spoke about podcasts and ads that are not on the same page as your thoughts and feelings. Um, we uh, this This is... Um, we're running ads now. Yeah. We're, we're on a different... Uh, we're part di- of the fan-sided network. Yeah, we're and, on a different uh, network yeah. now. So yeah, we're preceded by and post-seeded by ads now. That's true. Yeah, Yeah. Um, So it's new. It's weird. uh, Dear, uh, you spoke about, and we had an ad that we objected to. And we we had asked that they pull it down. Yeah. Um, I remember listening to a Marvel podcast uh, when The Inhumans came out. Ah. Ah, I remember Inhumans. Week two, Marvel bought ad space where the podcasters had to do live reads. The podcasters felt much the same way as everybody else did about Inhumans. Uh, then they had to do a live read promoting the show after lambasting at the beginning of the show. To their credit, they were still completely honest with their feelings of the show after reading the copy that was sent to them, but it was awkward. Yeah. Anyway, the question I have is, I've been trying desperately to look at older movies, and I want to ask which ones I would make me lean in with a schlock horror that I can find on streaming. Okay. Uh, as a side note, I can't wait for you guys to have an episode called, uh, an episode of Cancel Too Soon for La Brea. Uh, <laughs> the, do you notice there's... um. There's a new show called La Brea and another yeah. new show called Fairfax. I know, it's weird, right? Yeah. I wanted the crossover. Oh, um... But they never do. They're actually the, parallel uh, streets. Uh, but going back to Star Trek for a minute, there was... Wait, uh, no, they don't. They cross over. La Brea La- and Fairfax? No, they run parallel. They run parallel? La yeah. Brea's... And La Brea's... Go to, go, no, if you're going uh, east on the 10, you, get, you hit the Fairfax exit and then you hit the La Brea exit. <laughs> they run parallel. They both run east... Uh, both run uh, north-south. Um... Maybe, you're maybe, right. You're yeah. right. You're right. I don't know why I thought Fairfax is. You're right. Yeah, it's late. <laughs> there's no it's intersection. Late. I totally forgot Los I, Angeles I, geography. You know what? I, maybe there's like someplace out in like way out in like Claremont or something no, where they, they intersect. But um, it doesn't matter. Uh, but to, to go to Star Trek for a minute, there was uh, <laughs> of course, of course, because I found got, a way. I found a way. Uh, <laughs> the makers of Lower Decks, uh, the, the class of ship on Lower Decks is called California class, and they name all of the ships out of um, yeah. After, like, dinky towns in California. So yeah. the main ship is the USS Cerritos. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They also run into the USS Merced at one point, nice. which is a, a little nothing town. There's also Sol- the USS Solvang, which is so nice you can't wear shoes on the carpet. Um, <laughs> that's, it's, that's a very funny th- Those, those are like li- yeah. little yeah. in-jokes for California yeah. residents. And um, they said, well, uh, Star Trek Discovery takes place, like, a thousand years in the future. What does the California class look like then? So here's the USS Mid-Wilshire. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> which is a neighborhood in LA. It's not even a city. That's hilarious. Like, yeah, they'll run out of cities, so they'll just name it after LA neighborhoods. So nice. here's the, the USS <laughs> Mid-Wilshire <laughs> really made me giggle. That's a funny joke. Anyway, what was, uh, what uh, was the... the <laughs> We got distracted on here. The show is um, what oh. are what are rec- oh, yeah. like schlock horror recommendations that you can find on streaming? Well, I'm yeah. gonna go on Shutter right now. And, okay, and, I'm sure and, we can uh, find a lot. Yeah, there's there's a, a uh, Shutter is very carefully curated. Mm-hmm. It's not a huge library, but it's a good library. It's a very focused library, yeah. and if you're looking for just horror stuff, it's a very very good place to start. And uh, they and they have. Um, what they do on a lot of streaming service do, services do this. They uh, categorize their films. Shutter is all horror, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's like here's all of like the uh, the found footage movies. But it's around Thanksgiving. Here's all of the uh, horror movies about bad families. So you can yeah. watch uh, you know, Devil's Rejects, that right. kind of thing. Uh, and they have a really good uh, back catalog of kind of horror essentials. Um, let's see. I'm, oh, I'm actually looking at Shutter Essentials right now. They have Marvel Bava's uh, Black Sunday. Ooh, good one. Um, Carnival of Souls. If you haven't seen Carnival of oh, Souls, yeah, that's, I mean, that's pu- public domain. You can find it anywhere. It's also, not, it's also a bit more classy than maybe you're thinking of, but it's really good. Yeah, it's not so schlocky. Yeah. Uh, Day of the Dead, Frankenhooker, yeah. uh, the original Halloween, the original Hellraiser, um, House on a Hill, uh, William Castle film. These are, yeah, these are all just, you can't go wrong with a lot of these. A lot of them you probably have seen. They even have Nos, uh, both versions of Nosferatu. Nice. Um, I was going to recommend, and it's on. It's currently on Criterion. Ooh, okay. Uh, Doctor X from Michael Curtiz. It's which on. We, it's on Criterion. It's on Criterion Ooh, at the moment. Doctor X is excellent. And uh, there's there's so much schlocky horror from the early sound era mm. that is so much fun. <laughs> like the <laughs> rules weren't really solidified yet as mm. we knew them. And they were just doing these big giant swings. Dr. X is about a serial killer and a mad scientist decides to solve the crime by bringing all of his scientists, all the other friends. mad scientists. In. Yeah, yeah. All the mad scientists are going to be in one room and we're going to strap them down and we're going to recreate the murder right in front of them. And whichever one gets like really horny or something, <laughs> is going to be the one. And it's like, and where that plot goes, you will not predict. No. Cause it's really wild it's really yeah it's a clever script it was shot in this like early color process so it looks really fantastic it looks like a dream it looks like a like a dream color it's so damn cool um there's also dr x Um, i'm I'm very fond of um mm. from the if we're you know sticking around the 30s i I really love island of the lost souls yeah you finally Um, got me to watch that that movie's great it it should be listed with universal horrors it's paramount film but uh it's (laughs) it feels like it feels like it it should be one of the universal horror movies yeah um but yeah uh, charles lawton plays Dr. Moreau and he's been using vivisection to turn animals into people and it, and it is twisted and nightmarish yeah. uh, the Criterion edition has an intro from Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo because they nice. adopted the Are We Not Men as their uh, their slogan so that was yeah. enough to get Devo involved over on HBO Max another horror film early horror film from Michael Curtiz which is schlocky and wonderful mm-hmm. is Mystery of the Wax Museum Okay. Uh, which the, most people know House of Wax, the Vincent Price movie, which was a gigantic smash hit. A lot of people remember, and for some reason are really fond of the Paris Hilton remake, which is not good. It's not Paris Hilton's fault. I don't. I'm not a fan of that one. I, but I, I, I don't understand the affection for I that film. It's not good. I don't uh, get it either. But anyway, but I digress. The original. First off, it's done in that incredible like two-strip technicolor process. All the colors are a little bit off and weird, and it's wonderful. But it's creepy. <laughs> and Faye Ray plays a plucky reporter that would make Lois Lane jealous. <laughs> She's so damn cool in it. And it's 
pre-production code, so it's extra violent and crazy, and it's so good. Oh, 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 where's... Okay, hold on, hold where's on. The, I want to see... Look up the old Dark House. Oh, I'm not going to... I think old Dark House is still on Shutter. I could be wrong. Uh-huh. Um, but you... Uh, I'll, I'll look it up, too, I guess. But I wanted to look up... I want to make sure it's available somewhere relatively easy to find. Uh, oh, it's not it's not streaming anywhere. You might be able to find it online somewhere. Uh, no, the, the old un- dark house is also on Shutter. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, there's I wanted to recommend this a great silent horror film called The Unknown, uh, about uh, starring Lon Chaney Sr. as Alonzo the Armless, <laughs> an armless knife thrower who falls in love with a woman who is afraid of being touched, and she's played by um, uh, Joan Crawford, young young Ooh, Joan okay. Crawford. Uh, and uh, but the twist is Alonzo actually has arms because he's actually on the run because he's a murderer and he's been pretending to be an armless knife thrower and uh, now he's going to have his arms surgically removed so that he can be with Joan Crawford (laughs) and it's like a Tales of the Crypt episode everything goes horribly horribly ironically wrong (laughs) it's really twisted and weird ah it's so cool I guess that's what you'd call a real farewell to arms oh nice um there's so much good schlock out there, and there's so much good schlock horror, and I think most people, yeah, when they think about schlock horror, tend to go back as far as maybe the 60s. Mm. Go back earlier. There's so much fun weird stuff. Uh, well, and just throughout. It's, oh, yeah. It, there's, no, there's no shortage. As, as many uh, many people, have, critics have pointed out, horror is like the mainstay in cinema. It's like yeah. the one genre that is just always going to be chugging along. It's one of the first genres so, that, some, that some have, came yeah, to cinema. Some genres like kind of rise and fall in popularity. Some are really big, and then they just sort of fall out of favor. Horror always percolates. It's at like number three. Always and, does well. Uh, and yeah, it always does well. It's always interesting. So you're going to find a lot of interesting stuff if you mm-hmm. go back through the history of the genre, schlocky and otherwise. Um, yeah, I, I there's too much to go into right there. So I'm just going to point you towards Shudder. I, I think Shudder is really kind of the best place to find a pretty decent baseline schlock education. <laughs> if you want to go a little bit deeper go to Night Flight uh, mm. because they have car, uh, Night Night Flight is a streaming service that people don't talk about nearly enough $40 for a whole year they have old episodes of Night Flight the TV show which used to be on USA and they showed uh, it was a place to get like specially curated music videos a lot of rock interviews interviews with filmmakers but they also have contracts with like Arrow Video and um, uh, like other specialty yeah. uh, horror uh, Blu-ray labels uh, so they have a, like a lot of really interesting, deep cut, sick, sick cult movies on there as well. Nice. As well as like tokusatsu uh, films and like uh, Jerry Anderson shows. There's a lot of really interesting stuff on Night Flight. Uh, cool. If if you want to get high and watch Gumby reruns, <laughs> you, you can you can go on Night Flight. There's um, really no other way to consume Gumby reruns. I suppose not. Yeah, it has to be uh, after midnight, and you have to be high as fuck, and then you can watch <laughs> Gumby. <laughs> Uh, and th- I'm not a I'm not a weed guy, but that seems right to me. <laughs> no, that's, that's, no, you're on you're on the trolley. Yeah. Anyway, um, I hope that helps. Please let us know what you think. If you uh, uh, do track those movies down, uh, feel free to write us in to tell us about that. Or you can find us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. If you want to write in to this show uh, again, we gave you the email at the top, but here it is again: letters at criticallyacclaimed.net is the email address. We don't have time to read every letter, but we read as many as we can. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. Box again? Uh, it's Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. A huge shout-out to our patrons. Uh, if you've been enjoying all the conversations we've been having about Star Trek lately, 
We've got our Star Trek podcast over there reviewing every single episode of Star Trek. There is an over 100 episode backlog where if you sign up for that tier, that mm. all that's readily available for you. That's a giant, giant swath of, mm. of, for lack of a better word, content. Which is right there for you. We also have a podcast we're reviewing every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. Every single episode of 1960s Batman. Commentary tracks. We do hangouts with our patrons. There's a lot of stuff over there. And we're, we hope you're enjoying it. We're very, very grateful for every single patron that we've got. And it means the world to us that you think we're worth it. So thank you from mm-hmm. the bottom of our hearts. Um, and of course, uh, don't forget the holidays are coming up. Maybe you'll want to give someone some soap. <laughs> Doesn't have to be a statement. It could just be nice, you know. Like, hey, here's some soap. It doesn't have to be your stinky. Like, here's your, here's some nice soap for the holidays. And why I bring this up because I myself and my partner, I'm Lapis de Silva. We have a soap store on Etsy. We design handcrafted soaps. They smell amazing. There's a lot of cool holiday stuff available for the season, and also our classics are readily available as well. We've been restocking them for the season. So I head on over to Salt Cat Soap on Twitter, Instagram. Facebook. We're also on Etsy. Just look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word. A lot of cool stuff coming. Mm. We're going to have a Black Friday sale coming up this next week. So uh, stick around. Cool and, stuff. Uh, I have a, a Christmas radio show coming as well. <laughs> I'm super excited about this. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it's in the midst of, it's still in the midst of being made. So no release date as yet. But uh, yeah, it's it, it'll be out in time for Christmas. Yay. All right. Well, anyway, stick around for that. And again, if you're at our, uh, Top tier on Patreon, you get all of Whitney's uh, radio dramas for no additional fee. But if you do want to have them anyway, contact him via social media and he can mm-hmm. set up a thing on yeah, Venmo or something like that. I can email you an MP3 and you can pay me with the usual yeah. means. Yeah, usual stuff. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for We've Got Mail. Thank you, everybody. Have a, This episode's like usually in the middle of the week, but this week it's at the end of the week. So have a great weekend. Enjoy mm-hmm. your Enjoy yourself. Be safe. Take care of each other. And sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.